Thank you so much for joining us. Jolene and I are here in the Kyle studio at Embassy Church, Thursday evening, November 5th. And here's the first passage I want to put in front of our community during this chaotic, historic, and unsettling week. It comes from 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 through 18. And so I encourage you to pull it up in your own app, in your own Bible. Maybe you'd highlight it or note, note on it. That'd be helpful. Here's what it says, starting in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. God, I pray that in our heart and in our mind, that you would help us to enter your presence this evening. Help us as we've worshiped already and plan to worship again through song, that we would abide in you even as a community. I pray you'd give us the strength and discipline to, to push pause on other distractions, other good things, to focus on you, the very best thing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I think that now more than ever, it's important for us to realize that much of the New Testament, whether we're thinking of the Gospels, which give us the life, the ministry and miracles of Jesus, or whether we're thinking about the letters in the New Testament, which Paul wrote most of them, they're being written to people. These accounts are about people that are in a deep, serious struggle. And it's a struggle that involves their circumstances in such a way externally that causes internal chaos or disorder, disorderedness in their inner life. The early church, even in the first few centuries from the moment that Jesus ascended, throughout the first few decades of the church mothers and fathers stewarding the day of Pentecost, we find that believers, because of what they believed, because of what they stood for, because of how they loved, how they demonstrated compassion and lived out the gospel, were at odds. We're being persecuted. We're being discriminated against by other religious leaders, by the rulers politically. In this case, it would be probably the Roman occupation. And so when Paul says these words, himself having been a prisoner, himself having stood in unfair trials, he's not speaking these things from a place of theological or ideological exercise. He's speaking this flesh and blood in his own life in his own story. And I think that these words, like many words in scripture, have been comforting and, and life-giving to me during this week. I didn't even know there could be an election week. I was barely mature enough for an election day, but it's where we find ourselves. And I know my life group guys, if they're watching or listening, they're noticed I'm decked out in blue. Was it subconscious? I'm not going to say right now. Here's what's really interesting. I believe that God desires to speak to us in this moment, individually and collectively. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of spiritual bypassing, kind of verses or, or in contrast to spiritual insight. And it's an idea that it's not something that I came up with or that I've been thinking about 
on my own. But my friend Moses, who's a church planner in Bethesda, who was a campus minister at AU, shared this on Facebook, and, and I did want to share it with you, so I'm going to read it. And I think it helps to frame up a little bit about where I want to take us over the next few moments and where I believe that, that God, through his scriptures and through community, others who've gone before us, might be wanting to lead us. He said, Moses said this, Christian platitudes about Jesus sitting on the throne, regardless of who wins the election, which implies that Christians shouldn't fret about the results, is symptomatic of the American church's tendency to overlook the prophetic power of communal lament. Whatever may have been accomplished these past four years, these platitudes minimize the trauma that women who have been abused by powerful men have had to relive every time they turn on the news and saw their apex perpetrator. They undermine the plight of black Americans as their bodies continued to be brutalized. They dismiss the trauma that immigrant families have had to endure as they face uncertainties and rejections concerning their legal status due to harsher restrictions. They overlook the countless refugee families that were rejected or sent back to war-torn countries by our government. The spirit of these pithy Christian saints is more in line with Job's unwise words than Job's unwise friends who spoke to him unhelpfully than they are the prophetic tradition of Jeremiah. See, we need less false equivalencies about both sides and more calls to lament, to lament over what was lost these past four years. The absence of communal suffering in the American church's narrative makes the heart forget. It makes the heart more callous, and it makes the heart more divided. When we forget the power of lament, we forget that our neighbors are suffering and have experienced great loss. We cannot fulfill our Christian duty to holistically love our neighbors unless we know them in both their victories and their losses. This is an incredibly thought-provoking idea. And I think it harkens back to scripture where it does instruct us as believers to not only celebrate and rejoice with those that are celebrating or rejoicing, but to mourn with those that are mourning. And, and Moses gets at that in his last sentence, and scripture does as well. It's telling us that in order to live out the Christian ideal, we need to not only be in tune with our own emotions, but to be willing to meet someone else in another place in an emotion they might be experiencing that we may not be experiencing or even that we may not fully understand. But I do believe that the Holy Spirit can give us prophetic understanding. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, this is in the Old Testament, there's this line about some of the warriors of David in verse 32, and, and it just says this. It says, the men of Issachar... There was 200 of them, and they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Have you ever thought of that? That sometimes the warrior that is the most valuable isn't the most skilled, isn't the strongest, but perhaps is the most strategic. And that's what we read about in chapter 12 of 1 Chronicles. And that's what I believe God is calling our community to become. To become like the sons of Issachar who understood the times that they were in. And then knew what to do. Knew how to act. Knew how to live into the gospel from the status quo of what's happening around us. 
Now, if you're like me, you probably need a reminder during this message, a reminder you probably need all throughout the day, to be honest, to just take a moment and to breathe. One of my favorite guided meditations instructs us to breathe in God's love and then breathe out. Breathe out whether it's um, whether it's a weight, whether it's a burden. And, and I, love, I love how this idea of meditation can be tied back to the church father, uh, St. Ignatius. And he said something that's pretty radical to me. It's not something that I heard growing up, even though I grew up in church three, four times a week. Ignatius made this claim that I believe is absolutely true. It's one of the reasons I instructed us to take a pause, to breathe, and it's this. Ignatius said that the more that we know ourselves, the better or the greater opportunity we're going to have to truly know God. In other words, there's a way to be introspective without self-centered. That the more that we're in tune with what we're feeling, what we're experiencing, we don't breathe in and breathe out so that those things go away or we can pretend that the Holy Spirit just removes them. No, it allows us to sit in the reality of what is and then to accept the pursuit of Jesus into that moment with us. Now, many of us, I think, whether we've meant to or not, have been, have done spiritual bypassing to ourselves or to others. It's where we offer a, a Christian cliche that nobody is arguing is true or untrue, but we say it in a moment that tonally is a little bit off or misguided. And what it does, as Moses was saying, is it, man, it misses an opportunity to be with someone in their hurt at best. And at worst, it dismisses that person's hurt or experience altogether. That is the opposite of who Jesus is. Notice where the miracles take place in the gospel. I don't mean the towns or the cities or the proximity to roads or synagogues. I mean, who is experiencing the miracles? It's people that are filled with faith, and the majority of them are in the margins of society. It's people who are mourning, who are hurting, who are suffering. Jesus himself says, I, I, come, I come to heal the sick. Those that need a doctor can find relief in me. And we, we read, I believe it's in Luke, that, that Jesus is the great physician. One of the things that we have the opportunity to do as a community is to pause. And to recognize that sometimes, if I look back on my own life and story, I would spiritual bypass others' experiences because I was uncomfortable with my own experiences and what it meant for my faith. See, sometimes I think that we'll say these bumper sticker, tweetable, theological sayings because we don't even know what to do when we are honest with our emotions, when we have clarity on our experiences, and that comes into a collision with our theology. And here's what I've learned over the years. In moments of stress and anxiety, in moments of conflict and difficulty, it's not that Jesus is proved untrue. It's that the way I view Jesus is becoming, it's becoming clear that there are probably some parts of Jesus that I don't see clearly. 
In other words, when I'm in a difficult season or when you're in a difficult season, it can kind of feel sometimes like Jesus might be kind of crumbling or we don't know where he is or why he didn't show up. But can I encourage you not to press away from that, but to press into that? Because I don't think that it's the person and the spirit of Jesus that's changing. I think that it might be your view, your perspective, your framework, your theology of Jesus that might be changing. And I think that that could be a positive thing. I think following Jesus is learning to upgrade and discard and discard and upgrade things that we thought were true about Jesus that over time and through experience we realize might not be true. And here's a good test. If you're meeting Jesus and the longer you followed him, the more you ask yourself, wow, this must be too good to be true, then you're probably on the right path following a loving God whose grace and care is scandalous, whose love is reckless, and who's willing to be with us in our mess. Unlike other religions in the ancient Near East, even unlike most of the way that Judaism was being practiced in first century Palestine, where much of the Gospels took place, Jesus isn't asking anybody to come having already been cleansed, having already been purified. Instead, he's inviting people, he's approaching people and being with them in that very moment, in their hurt, in their pain, and in their disappointment. Now, as you're connecting in with us tonight, I don't know how you voted. I know that there are people in our community that will be disappointed regardless of how the election turns out. There'll be people disappointed if a president is reelected. There'll be people disappointed if a new president is inaugurated. And, and here's something really interesting because when we move past just a, a, for a moment, the, the situation that we're in. I feel like believers are, are questioning whether Jesus is on the throne, right? So it's not helpful for us to just kind of remind ourselves of that in a Facebook news feed. No. It's like believers are standing at opposite ends of a spectrum in bewilderment, in confusion, in disgust at how the people on the other side could see and view the world the way that they do. And I want to be really careful because I've been thinking a lot about kind of our mainstay passage, 2 Corinthians 5.20, and our ministry, all believers have the ministry of reconciliation. I think it's really important to note that for those that were hearing that word that in that audience at the church in Corinth, they understood something that we forget in the American church, that reconciliation always comes after repentance and restitution. That reconciliation without repentance and restitution is a false unity that's really just a surface uniformity. There is so much work to be done in our country, in our city, and in our community, even if the person I voted for, whose name might be Joe, even if he wins, even if the election is finally decided in the next few minutes, and this kind of in-between sermon is outdated. Believe me, I would be very happy to have some finality. But what many of us are experiencing this week is that there is so much division and hate. There is so much of us 
versus them. I love how Jolene put it a few weeks ago, and we've been sharing pieces of it on Instagram, that we are called to be salt and light, that as believers, our political engagement is deeply spiritual, deeply connected to our identity as kingdom people, but it should go beyond that. I love being a part of a staff team in a community that challenges me not just to be an activist in election years, not just to care about justice, when the headlines remind me to, but instead through the power of the spirit to opt into these conversations when my complexion would allow me to opt out. We are called to be people of the spirit, Christ's ambassadors. And the beautiful thing, the slightly different thing than maybe how we see ambassadors work and navigate in diplomacy in DC, is that Jesus invites us to be ambassadors that are inviting people to consider citizenship in his country, in his land, heaven. What's unique about the gospel story is that it takes us at our most problematic point and calls us into adoption. Romans tells us that while I was still at odds, at enmity, an enemy of God, he loved me. He gave his life for me. He pursued me. There's been a lot of conversations over the past few weeks on social media, mine included, and it's revolved around accountability and public figures and cancel culture. And let me just be honest, scripture desires Christians to live a holy life. We are to be held accountable now in front of our peers and in front of God in judgment day. But the crazy thing about the gospel is that when there's repentance, when there's restitution, when there's a change, there isn't a cancellation, there's redemption. Now there's people in my life and story who I would rather see canceled than redeemed, but that says more about me, I think, than it might say about them. We see the world unraveling in the first few pages of Genesis. We see the first violent act brother killing another brother because of his favor with God. And it's really interesting to see what God does. God, who, by the way, hates violence. It says that the blood, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground to God's ears. It's interesting that capital punishment wasn't the option that God took. God instead marks Cain so that nobody could harm him, nobody could kill him. And then Cain goes on to start, it's like the first city in scripture, and it's problematic and there's violence and it's chaotic. But I just love how the portrait we get of God, even from the very beginning of the story, is someone who's merciful, who's kind, and who's just, and somehow knows how to live into those things simultaneously. Tonight, we have an opportunity to really think through how does Jesus meet us in these difficult moments? Or maybe in other words, do we allow him to meet us in these moments? I think if the longer you've gone to church, the longer you've been in Chi Alpha, the more tempted you'll be to spiritually bypass well-intentioned, your own hurts and pains and frustrations, and even those of your brothers or sisters in Christ who may not look, vote, or think like you. That is incredibly 
dangerous because if our spirituality is disconnected from our emotions, that bifurcation is going to lead to a disastrous separation that we will not survive. As a staff team, we've been talking about whether it's our big questions about justice or how do we navigate the violent images of God we seem to see in the Old Testament or or what do we do about how the Bible treats or engages with women and women's voices. And there are sometimes these questions, maybe it's a different theological issue or debate for you, those are some of mine, but it's okay to sit with them. It's okay to not have the easy or the quick answer. It's in the wrestling that we become shaped into who God wants us to be. And sometimes we do come to an answer, not a perfect one, that one that allows us with integrity to live out the gospel and share it freely. And sometimes we don't come up with an answer that we think we deserve. But it's in the wrestling where we learn to ask better questions, where we gather around scripture and really ask for a revelation when we get with friends and pray and ask God to show up because we desperately need it. We step out from doing things by memory, but we step into it because we need a moment with God. Let us be a people that lives by spiritual insight. But God help us that we don't just spiritually bypass our emotions, our feelings, lament, difficulty, sorrow. This week, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of the gospel and to live out that gospel with those around us. And I couldn't think of a more honest, heart-to-heart message in our To Be Honest series, and to just be honest about this moment that we're in, to be honest about the hurt, to be honest about the realities of brokenness that we're experiencing. There aren't easy answers. There is a big and present God. And if you're willing to grapple with the reality of your external circumstances and your inner turmoil, on the other side of that will be spiritual growth. It will not be pain-free. It will not be easy, but it will be true and deep and real. I've been really trying to dive into scripture more this week in prayer, reading, listening to podcasts. I need more and more things to anchor me, and I think you might too. Let's be a people that pursue Jesus, and then the things that that he cares about May we care about them, speaking truth, speaking love, an honest biblical understanding of reconciliation and unity. It's not about uniformity. It absolutely involves repentance and restitution, things none of us like to talk about. And may we be prophetic truth tellers, not just to the culture around us, not just to people on the other side of the political aisle, but to our own tribes. May we, may we lean into confession, which is truth-telling about ourselves. And may we do so with the hope that Jesus is here, that Jesus is working, that Jesus knows how to lament and engage in sorrow, even when I don't. Let's pray. God, I ask, that as we sing songs, as we think about your character, and as we do so 
with a community. God, that you'd speak to us in areas where you want us to grow, where you need us to grow. God, help me to see my own blind spots. Not for the sake of feeling bad, but for the sake of being able to grow more like you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.